The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Good afternoon and welcome to the Chandler Resort Spa. My name is Archibald Chandler, founder, owner, manager. Uh, we love a room for the night. We're just passing through. No. Here's a copy of the schedule of the week's activities, and on the back, you will find a list of our rules and regulations. Well, we can't run a hotel without rules and regulations, now can we? Okay, here are the rules. Proper dress and decorum in all public places. No belts with suspenders. No bow ties. No hats. Pretty specific dress code. No bouffant hairdos for the ladies. Fine with me. No blue eyeshadow. What? Okay, come on, these aren't rules, these are pet peeves. What kind of place is this? Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, August 12th, 2021. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Freedom-loving people take great comfort in knowing that they have private property rights. But it's become clear to me, given the global battle about private employers and retailers demanding that their employees and customers must or must not have an experimental injection before being allowed to quote-unquote associate with them, that the predominant understanding of the nature of property, both public and private, is very little understood. Most people believe that they have a right to private property, and to that extent, you know, they're basically correct if they live in a free society and their governments uphold that right. But do they also believe that they have the wrong to private property? (laughs) And if you want to know what I mean by that, it's this. The state of fascism that exists today exists at the behest of private property owners who have taken control of our governments protected behind their cloak of quote-unquote private property rights and then using the private property of others to roll out their fascism. And this sad affairs of crony politics is a direct consequence of what I'm calling the wrong to property on which I shall elaborate right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archive broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. Now, the case or argument that I intend to put forward today will not necessarily follow a straight line because there are numerous concepts and elements to the larger picture that must first be clarified before connecting all the dots, as it were. I'm amazed I haven't done this before, but I don't think conditions ever got so serious that it actually demanded our attention to this degree. Now, last week's show, where our guest Paul McKeever quite literally suggested that vaccination discrimination should be outlawed, I expect certainly would have rubbed some folks the wrong way. They would see such a prohibition as being counter to freedom of association and as a direct attack on individual rights. But you know, I've become convinced that precisely the opposite is the case. 
And given the tyrannical political environment in which we all find ourselves, Paul McKeever's proposal, if nothing else, has struck at perhaps one of the greatest issues facing not only Ontario, but Canada and the rest of the Western world. And we'll be taking a look at a few examples of that as our show progresses today. I want to begin with this. saw this great letter to the editor. In, of all places, the mainstream media. I just couldn't believe it. Yes, in the London Free Press, a letter to the editor on August 3rd under the heading, Don't Discriminate. And I quote, Canadians pride ourselves on tolerance and acceptance. We seek to forgive and rehabilitate even the worst elements of our society. We preach equality for all, regardless of physical, racial, sexual, or ideological differences. We actively decry societies in which specific groups are targeted, marginalized, or threatened for these same choices. Yet we now hear that a great number of Canadians think the COVID vaccinated should have more rights. Many don't want to share spaces with unvaccinated citizens. They demand a two-class system. They consider themselves above the rest. The belief that some are better than others because of what's running through their veins is the very essence of hate speech and hate doctrine. Such opinions are rampant points to deep-seated hypocrisy and denial on a national level. All Canadians, vaccinated or not, should be very alarmed by the expression of these sentiments. They indicate a very dangerous trend. What will be next? End quote. And that was by Adam R. of London, Ontario. Well, maybe being discriminated against for wearing blue eyeshadow or something like that might be next. <laughs> but Adam's letter very well captured the zeitgeist of our time and defined a major issue facing the free world. So for those who missed it, on last week's show, which is what precipitated our topic today, Freedom Party of Ontario leader Paul McKeever, in a position paper, which is not a party platform until approved by the executive, proposed that the government should outlaw vaccination discrimination now. And yes, he was referring to privately owned businesses who, whether literally or figuratively, open their doors to the public to engage in trade and commerce. Many might regard such a prohibition as a violation of an individual's right to freedom of association. In fact, it's an argument raised frequently in the current debate surrounding the growing pressure to force vaccinations upon employees, customers, and students attending schools ranging from the primary to the university level. Now, up until now, the issue has been polarized and argued in an intellectual, moral, and philosophical vacuum, blind to the strict context within which such a discussion is valid. And that is the context of free trade and commerce. That's very important. This is not about anybody's personal life, but their public life. And all commerce of necessity and by definition falls into the realm of public. Commerce is a public activity even when it takes place on private property or by using private property. Now, in our discussion last week, Paul applied arguments and principles rarely heard, or, or maybe not even understood, in the discussion of this very serious controversy. He pointed out how that forgotten in the debate is the necessary acknowledgement that humans are rational beings and that the exercise of one's rational faculty is essential to trade. Trade is based on consent, without which any exchange of goods or services can't even be called trade. Trade, therefore, requires an equal application of the law to all participants in any potential or actual exchange. Law facilitates trade. Indeed, both property and trade are creations of law. 
The belief that private ownership empowers owners engaged in trade with a right to discriminate against selected members of the public is misguided. No such right exists, which is why not even governments have any such right. I mean, after all, in a free country, the government can only represent rights that the citizens themselves possess. And as a glaring example of this, here's a pathetic Joe Biden begging private businesses to do his dirty work for him. Population of cases is particularly concentrated in states with low vaccination rates. Just two states, Florida and Texas, account for one-third of all new COVID-19 cases in the entire country. Just two states. Look, we need leadership from everyone. If some governors aren't willing to do the right thing to beat this pandemic, then they should allow businesses and universities who want to do the right thing to be able to do it. I say to these governors, please help. But if you aren't going to help, at least get out of the way of the people who are trying to do the right thing. Use your power to save lives. There's so much wrong with what we just heard Biden say. From ignoring the now substantiated fact that most cases are being experienced and caused by those who have been vaccinated, to suggesting that forced vaccinations will save lives when the exact opposite is true. And I still defy anyone to show me a saved life proven to be the consequence of having received a vaccine. But it's real easy to point to the thousands upon thousands of lives taken by the vaccines, which aren't even a vaccine. But the point to be made here is that it's clear on which side of the discrimination debate Joe Biden sits. When he advises the governors of Florida and Texas to allow businesses and universities to do the right thing, he's saying that the right thing is to discriminate against those who exercise their freedom of choice by refraining from getting an injection of a very dangerous substance. He's attempting to use the private property of others to advance his fascist political agenda. Now, there is no conflict, no contradiction between, and no threat to an individual's personal freedom of association by prohibiting discrimination in commerce. In fact, I would argue that it is only by allowing or permitting private businesses to discriminate that your personal freedom of association will ultimately be threatened and taken away from you. We are at this very moment witnessing that entire process as governments are even considering entering our private homes which are not public spaces, to force mandatory injections into us. Injections which, by the way, have nothing to do with COVID, and they're one of the dots that have to be connected in the bigger picture. So to carry on with this discussion, I think it's first essential that we begin to establish a few clear definitions and distinctions. And two of the most critical words are, of course, property and discrimination. There are others, but we'll get to them later. Now, property is an abstraction. Believe it or not, property is invisible and cannot be seen in the real world. You can see things, you can see land, you can see cars, you can see objects, but you can't see property. And that's because property is an abstract concept meaning ownership. And the definition of property in the Canadian Law Dictionary is exactly that. Quote, it is ownership, the subject or an object of ownership. Valuable things according to the context. As valuable things, it includes incorporeal as well as corporeal things. It includes lands and real estate. Property is of two kinds, namely real and personal. Property in realty is acquired by entry, conveyance, or device. 
property and personality may be acquired in several ways, but usually by gift, bequest, or sale. It is a concept affecting the abstract principle of ownership and is quite distinct from possession. Property also signifies a beneficial right in or to a thing, end quote. And as Isabel Patterson put it in her God of the Machine, all property which is ownership is a claim through time. And she went on to explain that time and distance are the two factors which necessitate formal government. In other words, formal government is necessary to the very existence of what we call property. Now, I have to confess that I may have in the past used the words discrimination or discriminate in a rather inaccurate or misleading way, especially in a statement like, say, to choose is to discriminate, or freedom of choice is the freedom to discriminate, or an act of choice is an act of discrimination. And I can tell you now I won't be making that comparison again, especially after having checked the distinction (laughs) between choice and discrimination. Now, in my regular dictionary, the Funk and Wagnalls Dictionary, choice is defined as the act of choosing, an option, the person or thing chosen, a number or variety from which to choose, a well-selected supply, an alternative. Discrimination, in that same dictionary, is defined as, quote, to act towards someone or something with partiality or prejudice, to discriminate against a minority, to draw a clear distinction, Distinguish, to discriminate between good and evil, to draw or constitute a clear distinction between. And then in the Canadian Law Dictionary, discrimination is defined, quote, a failure to treat all persons equally, generally arising out of a prejudice against a class of persons, race, color, sex, religion, etc. End quote. So, note that discrimination is an act, not merely a feeling or attitude of prejudice, and it's an act taken unjustly against or for an individual based not on any individualistic characteristics, but on some perceived notion of the particular collective or group to which that individual belongs. And of course, in the privacy of your own home or other private spaces owned by you, you can be as prejudiced as you want and as discriminatory as you want as long as you are strictly in a private setting. And yes, even the word private requires clarification, but we'll do that a little bit later on. So before all this gets too theoretical and academic, let's take a look at how the calling for discrimination against the unvaccinated is actually playing out in our communities and body politic today. On this side of our upcoming bumper, from August 7th, Canada Poly, hosted by Mark Paralavos, He highlights a clip from the Joe Rogan show claiming along the way how YouTube has discriminated against him and in favor of Joe Rogan, which itself is yet another dimension of this whole discrimination story. And on the return side of the bumper from the August 4th Stu Peters show in which he interviews Arizona Senator Wendy Rogers about this very issue, the banning of vaccination discrimination by private business, a policy, by the way, that she like Paul McKeever, fully supports. But first, here's Canada Polly. Joe Rogan is still on YouTube. <laughs> this video, um, this video, he talks at length about how crazy people are to take vaccines and, and like how, um, how tyrannical the government is and blah, 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 blah. And I've been kicked off YouTube for saying, for inferring with my eyebrows less than Joe Rogan has clearly stated, articulated here. So 
screw YouTube. Like, F them. Anyway, Joe Rogan is talking about, uh, well, here's, here's a small clip. Here we go. Can't do what you want to do unless you do what I want you to do. I mean, Don Lemon was talking about that openly on CNN. Yeah. Don't have a vaccine? Can't go to the supermarket. Don't have a vaccine? Can't go to work. Like, it's so strange that people want to say things like that. Like, that's the thing that blows me away. Why do, you, why do people want to... Because uh, they're dumb. They're dumb. Right? They're dumb. They don't understand history. They don't understand <laughs> right. human beings. They don't understand yeah. human nature. They don't understand the history of every single country that's ever existed mm-hmm. other than the United States. Up until 1776, every country that has ever existed was run by dictators. Right. All of them. This is the first one where you had elected officials. This is the first experiment in self-government that actually worked, and it created the greatest superpower the world's ever known. Where are we at in Arizona with this overreaching push for this incessant like this jab, everybody's got to get jabbed. Where, where do you stand on this, Senator Rogers? Well, I uh, vociferously stood with nurses and other healthcare professionals yesterday. Uh, we have a family member who's a prior employee of the Banner Health System. Uh, she and, and the rest of us talked about this the other night, and I hightailed it down there yesterday. Uh, Real America's Voice asked me to come on scene and interviewed me. I talked to a number of nurses. They said, Senator Rogers, we work for the Banner Health System, which, by the way, is the largest in Arizona. And if we don't take the vaccine by the 1st of November, they're going to fire us. Uh, there are 60 percent, however, of us who have not taken the vaccine yet. And what would you say to us? And I said, you all need to quit because even if 40% quit, my family member said there is no way that Banner can sustain its services. So this is where people need to band together and rise up and know what their rights are. And so this is an employee issue. As a state Senate, we did pass a bill that the governor signed on a customer issue, which means if a customer comes to a government office in Arizona or to school, uh, universities, K through 12 as well, then uh, the, the customer, the student, does not have to wear a mask. We tried to get that, uh, uh, sorry, doesn't have to show proof of a vaccine. Okay. Uh, we tried to get that passed also for private businesses. But again, we had one or two Republicans who didn't side with most of us Republicans. Who are, who are these Republicans? Who are the one or two? What are their names? Well, well, Paul Boyer is one. And uh, the other one I'm not sure of, so I don't want to say. Okay. Uh, but these, it, it didn't, here's how it goes. If we talk privately in a closed caucus and we don't have the 16 votes, then it doesn't go up on the board, so to speak, to get voted on. That's just how things unfold. And it is what it is. And so we try to cajole and we try to... Uh, uh, work with each other, the House as well, and we couldn't get it across the finish line. It's really a problem because if you, and I spoke on this in closed caucus, my colleagues said, what's the problem? I said, you don't realize this is not just the corner 
barbershop saying you have to show proof of a vaccine. These are huge corporations that are bigger than some countries. And so if we allow them to mandate showing that you had the vaccine, that's got far-ranging repercussions. This is not the America of 20 years ago. And they just, they just don't see that or don't want to see it. And so I think we, we've really gone down a troublesome path here with businesses being able to dictate this. And if you say to me, well, you know, it's not the government's job to regulate business. We regulate business every day. So don't tell me that. We have to protect the people. I commend that. Uh, and I agree with that 100%. As, as a uh, America First conservative myself, I don't, I don't like overregulation. I don't like big government. But there is a time when government needs to step in, and that is to stop some of this nonsense that's happening. I mean, this is a, if, if this virus was killing everybody and, and these shots were actually vaccines, which we now know they're not, um, right. and they were actually approved, um, and they were actually doing more good than harm, I'd be all for them. I would be all for them. But the fact is, nobody can prove that a virus exists. Uh, if the set of symptoms, if you do come down with this set of symptoms, you have a 99.989% chance of beating it. Uh, right. And these injections are reported to have killed over 50,000 people, according to a CDC exactly. whistleblower, which, as I mentioned uh, just moments ago, is more people than died in the Korean War. Uh, well, and the fact that the truth of that is suppressed is even really troubling. It's criminal. And, and I, my hat's off to you, uh, Stu, and, and other alternative sources of media uh, for being brave to get this truth out. And I'm still on Facebook and Twitter. I'm not sure why. It just keeps growing. I'm sure I'll be silenced soon. But we've uh, shored up my position by going over to Gab and Rumble and Telegram, as you said, because it's imminent, I'm sure. But these nurses, for example, yesterday had had a 2,000-member Facebook, boom, shut down by the end of the day yesterday. And so I connected to a lot of them, and they said, what do we do? I said, get yourselves over to Gab right now. Uh, get yourselves on Telegram, and they're doing that right now. If that alone doesn't wake people up, that Truly. alone, you know. Why is the media not talking about this? Why can't I ask these questions? Why can't I question this person's science? Why is only that person allowed to talk about their science? Why can't I freely talk to a group of people about whether or not I'm going to subject myself to this jab of unknown ingredients that seems to be hurting and killing a lot of people? Uh, the swine flu rollout, that vaccination program was shut down after 25 people died. 25 people. We're talking about 55,000 Americans. At minimum, right. at minimum, and that's the only the ones that we have discovered have been hidden. The censorship being experienced is always only experienced by those telling the truth. After all, truth is the only victim of censorship. And with respect to Canada Polly saying, screw YouTube because of discrimination, I heartily agree. YouTube does not have a right to discriminate in this fashion because it is exempt from being held responsible for such discrimination. They pretend to be a platform but operate as a publisher and enjoy the protection of the law that allows them to censor and spread false information and propaganda at the same time. 
And certainly, if you've been kicked off of a social media platform for telling the truth, moving to another one is an immediate way of trying to get your message out, but it should never have been necessary in the first place. Many of the major YouTubers and bloggers made tremendous investments in those platforms over several years, placing the platforms under an assumed contractual commitment based on their own actions and having earned money through the content created by the YouTubers and their relationship with them. So just because a platform may be privately owned, usually corporately, they still enjoy their status under the jurisdiction of government, ultimately. And again, we're talking about their status with respect to trade and commerce only. That's the context. But Arizona Senator Wendy Rogers really hit the nail on the head when she said, these are huge corporations larger than some countries. This has great repercussions. We've gone down a troublesome path here with business being able to dictate this. And if you say, well, it's not the government's job to regulate business, we regulate business every day, so don't tell me that. We have to protect the people. That is a great description of the overall problem we're facing. And Joe Rogan, earlier on, spoke of understanding history. And as a matter of historical fact, Trade and commerce existed long before individual or property rights, or the right to life, liberty, and property. Most people who understand life, liberty, and property might argue that trade and commerce are not possible without first having and enshrining these fundamental rights. But if, what if I were to suggest to you that free trade and commerce did not arise out of the fact that people have the individual rights to life, liberty, and property? In fact, individual rights, which happen to be a social concept, arose out of the necessity of trade and commerce. Kind of reminded of Professor Salim Mansour's observation that individualism is a subset of a collective and has no meaning unless contrasted against it. And as Isabel Patterson expressed it, society in the Western world evolved from a society of status into a society of contract. Quote, The concept of a free man, though imperfectly glimpsed, has never been quite effaced in Europe. An English magistrate, Justice Harrell, in 1309 laid down this rule. In the beginning, every man in the world was free, and the law is so favorable to liberty that he who was once found free and of free estate in a court of record shall be free forever, unless it be that some later act of his own shall make him villain. It was the voice of Roman law that spoke, and the verdict in its full implication set aside a thousand years of status. Trade and money, which go together in the stream of energy, inevitably wash away the enclosing walls of a society of status. They seep below the foundations and penetrate every crevice, end quote. In other words, what she's saying is that the free flow of money is a great cure against discrimination and prejudice. It puts everyone on an equal footing when it comes to trade and commerce. To continue, quote, In Roman law, a man must be charged with a specified act having known penalties and convicted on something more positive than opinion to incur sentence. He could not be guilty for no cause. The idea of law sets moral sanctions above force while recognizing human fallibility. The idea of law posited that a man had rights which must be respected and which he could forfeit only by his own act. For 2,000 years, the example of Rome has been cited erroneously to the confusion of nations as a military empire. It was not. There has never been a military empire, nor can there be. The ordinary man wished to live under Roman law. The victorious legions were a result and not a cause. 
In the society of contract, man is born free and comes into his inheritance with maturity. In the society of status, no one has any rights. The individual is not recognized. A man is defined by his relation to the group and is presumed to exist only by permission. The system of status is privilege and subjection. By the ultimate logic of the society of status, a member of a group who has not committed even a minor offense might be put to death, quote, for the good of society, end quote. In the society of status, everyone is under obedience from cradle to grave, except, by the same logic, a ruler whose will may be supreme and who is therefore exempt from all obligations. He can do no wrong. Also, does all this sound a little bit familiar to anybody? Isn't this exactly where we're heading? We're heading back from a society of contract back to a society of status. And they're using private property to get us there. Patterson continues, In formerly organized societies, there may be a mixture of status and contract. The Roman Republic was remarkable for an almost even apportionment of contract and status, about half and half. Politically, it included more of the contract basis than any other previous contemporary state, much more than the Greek democracies, since it limited the scope of political power. And for those who insist on following the science, Patterson observed, science arose from political conditions. The application of science to production requires assured possession of private property, free labor, and time enough to return benefits for the effort and capital expended. Necessity is immediate. Savages have no occasion for formal government while it is necessary to civilization. For a civilized economy, which consists of production and exchanges in a sequence extending through time and space, there must be an agency to witness long-term contracts and see they are fulfilled. The appropriate authority for this purpose is therefore delegated to government. Government is a marginal requirement, necessary only insofar as the individual faculty is not exercised in according to agreement and natural right, which means equal liberty. If one man's rights are infringed, no other man obtains them. On the contrary, all men are thereby threatened with a similar injury, end quote. Now quickly, here are a few more definitions that we should keep in mind with respect to our broader discussion, namely the words commerce, trade, person, public, and private. And in my Universal World Reference Encyclopedia, the term commerce is defined thusly, quote, the term used to denote business operations, particularly buying and selling on a large scale or traffic other than intrastate. The story of commerce is largely the story of civilization itself, arising from man's need to the exchange of goods, effected at first through the crude means of barter, which of necessity gave way finally to a readily divisible and universally negotiable symbol of common value, money. The promotion and protection of commerce is one of the main functions of government. The article then goes on to extensively describe all of the factors of commerce which are subject to commercial law, such as negotiable instruments, bill of exchange, checks, orders, money deposits by depositors, bonds, promissory notes, a lot of issues, all which fall under the jurisdiction of government to be the referee over. Now, this is the Canadian Law Dictionary, which defines commerce as, quote, the exchange between men of the products of nature or art, buying or selling together, trading, exchange of merchandise, especially as conducted on a large scale between different countries or districts, including the whole of the transactions, arrangements, etc., therein involved. 
and it defines trade, quote, the word trade has various shades of meaning, but its primary one is that of commerce, or back to commerce, the business of selling with a view to profit goods, which the trader has either manufactured himself or purchased. Now, this is critical to the definition of a person. A person in law includes both a natural person, that is to say a human being, and an artificial person, that is to say a corporation. And then there's the term public as, quote, all the inhabitants of a particular place, the whole body politic, or the aggregate of citizens of a state, district, or municipality, open to all, open for the use, enjoyment, or participation of all, either free or on payment of a fee. Now notice that in this context, ownership is irrelevant. Then just as a subset of public, there's the term publication, which means proclamation, making public, communicating. That's what people do when they're in a the field of advertising or making an offer or accepting an offer. And then there's this very important subset, public policy. And I quote, the principles under which the freedom of contract or private dealings is restricted by law for the good of the community. At least two conditions must be fulfilled before the court can refuse to give effect to the legal instrument or any transaction on the ground that the same offends public policy. It must find that the transaction in question is against the interest of the safety of the state or of the economic or social well-being of the state and its people as a whole. Secondly, it must be invoked only in very clear cases in which the harm to the public is substantially incontestable and does not depend upon the idiosyncratic inference of a few judicial minds. End quote. Now, interestingly enough, I didn't find a definition of private in the legal dictionary, but I did in a regular dictionary. And it simply defined private as removed from public view, secluded, not for public or common use. So that's pretty plain and straightforward, not much to debate about there. Now, before we put all these pieces together, let's turn our attention to the supposed cause necessitating calls for vaccination discrimination in the first place. The vaccines and now various COVID viruses being talked about to scare people into getting an injection. On this side of our upcoming bumper, once again, Canada Poly in this case, doing a bit of my own work for me by selecting a couple of useful audio bites, one taken from CNN and another from Fox News. On the return side, a selection from the Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson show of August 7th, during which she interviewed one of the most knowledgeable and fascinating guests I've ever seen or heard on the big picture of the whole COVID scam, and which I heartily recommend you check out in its entirety. Her guest was Dr. Andrew Kaufman, and we'll be getting a peek into that interview right after this. This is the CDC, and this is, what is this, CNN, so, so this is 26 seconds, here we go. CNN. Information from the CDC tonight is turning crucial things we were told about COVID upside down. The CDC revealing tonight that 74% of COVID cases in Barnstable County, Massachusetts, home to Provincetown, where there was a recent outbreak, were found in people who were fully vaccinated. And they say now that the vaccinated are just as likely to spread the virus as those who are not vaccinated. Huh, isn't that weird, right? Isn't that strange? Here's Byron Bridle and he's on Fox News. They're talking about how this is a disease of the unvaccinated. Byron Bridal says, no, they're lying. Here's, uh, here's that exchange. Doctor, thank you for joining us in part two of this interview with you. Is it accurate to now call this a pandemic of the unvaccinated? Or do you think those who are vaccinated 
could also be contributing to the emergence of these new variants. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely, it's untrue uh, to be calling this a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Uh, in fact, I would argue that, and it's certainly untrue, uh, the, this flipping of the messaging to to scare people into thinking that the unvaccinated are somehow driving the emergence of novel variants. This goes against every scientific principle that we understand. Uh, the reality is the nature of the vaccines that we are using right now and the way we are rolling them out are going to be applying the selective pressure to this virus to promote the emergence of new variants. Again, this is based on sound principles. We have to look no further than chemotherapy for cancers and the emergence of antibiotic resistant strains of bacteria. The principles are this. If you have a biological entity that's prone to mutation and the SARS coronavirus too, like all coronaviruses is prone to mutation. So if you have a biological entity like that and you apply a narrowly focused selective pressure that is non-lethal, and you do this over a long period of time, this is the recipe for driving the emergence of novel variants. And that's exactly what we're doing. Our vaccines are focused on a single protein of the virus. So the virus only has to alter one protein and the vaccines do, don't come close to conferring sterilizing immunity. So I'll leave it there. We are driving the creation of, of variants. That's, that's what he's saying, so with, with the vaccine. So that's not good. On the one hand, they say, and even write, that you know all of these people who are getting sick are not vaccinated, but then when you look at the actual data, you see it's quite the opposite. And, you know, there are many hospital staff like nurses and other people who are fully aware of this and they are afraid right. to speak out. And, you know, th those are some of the people that I was really talking to earlier about having the courage. But it's so important for healthcare workers to let people know what's really going on and how dangerous this vaccine is. And it is, I guarantee, the primary cause of any new illness or mortality that's going on in the world right now. There actually is no virus at all that has been even shown to exist. And there certainly is no experimental evidence that there's any new disease, because how would you identify it? We have only diagnostic tests that have never been approved by any health agency. And in fact, they've never even undergone a basic validation study. A validation study is when a test basically proves that it measures what it's actually supposed to measure. Right. And that's not even been attempted for any, you know, COVID diagnostic. So there's essentially no actual new disease to even be immune from. So you couldn't perform any clinical tests because there's no way to identify who would have COVID versus who wouldn't. So if you wanted to test a vaccine, you, you couldn't actually test it because what would you be testing it against? So what they've done is is fabricate all of this through doing simulations, computer simulations, making what they call pseudo viruses in the laboratory because they don't have access to a real virus because it doesn't exist. So they make pseudo viruses where they which are essentially just like the vaccine technology. 
except instead of injecting them into a person, they mix them with a cell culture, and then they do experiments on the cell culture, and they think that that teaches them about a virus, but they can't actually find any virus in nature at all. And you know, there is a Canadian, another Canadian hero that uh, you, may, you didn't mention before because she's not a doctor, but her name is Christine Massey. Mm -hmm. And what she's been doing is she's been sending freedom of information requests to government agencies, universities, and health departments all over Canada and around the world. And she has been amassing them because every single one has come back that we do not have any evidence where we ever have taken a virus out of a sick person and purified it or isolated it and shown that it exists. Not one time. You know, uh, my husband found this website where they have they have a reward for anyone who can isolate it. And it's one it's up to one point five. Uh, million euros now, 1.5 yes, million euros. Yes, I'm familiar with the uh, right. people running this. So if somebody really has that, and I put that on the line, oh, you know, of course this has been isolated, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, well then be sure once you get your isolation, then be sure to go and collect your reward, 1.5 million yes. euros. I think that's double Canadian money. I don't know. It's like a lot more than we have. Um, this is fantastic. It's go a get big, your reward. It's a big purse. So, right. you know, I just want to clarify one thing because, you know, that doctor may have been confused about this point as well, that you can find several scientific papers where in the title it says that they've isolated a new virus. So what you have to do is actually read what the experiment is they did because they didn't do that at all. What happened is that back in the 1950s, this famous doctor, John Enders, got a Nobel Prize. And after he got a Nobel Prize, his technique for making vaccines, because that's why he got a prize, he helped to make the polio vaccine, he, the procedure that he used to make vaccines suddenly became adopted to prove the existence of a virus. So they called it virus isolation and the toxic soup from a tissue culture that they get at the end, they call a viral isolate. But it, this is not an isolated virus by any means because it's a mixture of many, many things from a cell culture. But a true virus isolation and, you know, many of the most esteemed virologists have described the need for this, including Luc Montagnier, who won the Nobel Prize for discovering HIV, that you have to actually really isolate, or you know, I could use the word purify because they don't corrupt the word purify, but in other words, take it right from its natural source, a person who's sick from a disease that the virus causes, and simply take it right out of that sick person and purify it so that you can see that it's a real thing. And so you could take it apart and, and study it, right? And that's the only way to know if something's real. And that's exactly what uh, virologists like Luc Montagnier have described. So it's very confusing when you see this word isolation on the paper, you think that's what it means, but that's not what it means at all. What it means is that means is that they took fluid from a sick person and they put it in a cell culture with various other toxic chemicals and then starve the cell culture. And then those cells began dying and breaking down into particles, which happens to all cells when they get sick and die. And then they just 
pick one of those particles arbitrarily and say, hey, look, there's the virus. But it's not real. And that's why when they do these experiments, they have to use computer simulations. They have to use manufacture pseudo viruses and things like that because they don't have the real thing because the real thing doesn't exist except in our minds. But uh, people have died. So um, something called COVID-19, is it, is it, do you believe that that was made in a lab in Wuhan? Something that has been, can potentially so, be used as a So Laura virus? Lynn, I don't think you're fully grasping what I'm saying is that yeah. there's no scientific evidence anywhere of any virus, natural, lab-created, anything like that, that is causing any new illness. And furthermore, there's actually no evidence of a new illness. If we identify a new illness, right, that didn't exist before, yeah. we would have to have a way, a way to distinguish it from other illnesses, right? That's how we would recognize that, it, that there's a new illness in the first place. Now, what we have is the main symptoms for COVID are just the symptoms of pneumonia. Right. So many things cause pneumonia. It's not new. It's a previously existing disease. So how would you identify a person with COVID? There's no reliable way because COVID actually doesn't exist. Now, of course, people died because every single one of us is going to die. That's a law of nature. And when you look at people, people's death or even people getting sick, that doesn't tell you like the fact that people died or the fact that people were sick doesn't tell you any information whatsoever about what caused them to die or be sick. But there's no indication in any of the scientific analyses or scientific data that there's any new cause of sickness or death whatsoever. Okay, so um, so when what 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 are they saying happened in the lab in Wuhan? Is it your perspective that that this is all a sham or 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 have Absolutely. they potentially made okay but there's just no evidence of a virus anywhere lab created or otherwise now i know that there's this gain of function research but all that is is it's the same technology as the vaccines so in other words it's putting a synthetic gene um, into some kind of nanoparticle and then using it for experiments or in this case, you know, using it, um, you know, to perhaps poison or control the population. Right. But, but there's no particles that float around in the air and make us sick. That's just something that has essentially been fabricated and wow. used to scare and manipulate us. And this See, goes you- back quite a long time. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And that was Dr. Andrew Kaufman explaining the reality behind the pandemic. A conclusion now, having been reached by many, many people who are knowledgeable about the situation. I keep running into more every day, and we've been covering them on this show for the better part of the past year and a half. You know, it's really hard to wrap our heads around the enormity and scale of this criminal conspiracy to force an injection into every person possible. On the COVID front, this has been the only agenda ever.
There was never an agenda to defeat the COVID virus because there never was a virus of concern, and there still isn't, except, ironically, the possible variants now being shed by the vaccinated. Small wonder that blaming the unvaccinated for spreading a virus has become the next tactic in the arsenal of big pharma and the vaccine industry. But the truth continues to leak out despite all of the censorship efforts. And it was interesting to hear a story on CNN, of all places, only now catching up to the reality of the vaccines that were already known in social media for well over a year by now. How many times have I repeated that the so-called vaccines will not prevent anyone from getting a virus, spreading a virus, or getting a flu that they can label COVID-19? And the mainstream media cover-up of deaths and adverse reactions to the injections speaks for itself. So in light of all this, and bringing us back to our major theme of private property rights being used to advance fascism, just consider the state of mind and of morality and of character it must take to hear Anthony Fauci recommend what you're about to hear him say. Vaccine mandates, we know the government isn't going to do vaccine mandates, but um are you going to attempt to create the conditions to allow um, private businesses and other entities to do vaccine mandates? Um, is, is that sort of the next phase of what the of what the federal response can do? Absolutely, Chuck. As you know, and I've said it several times on your show, that you're not going to see a federally from the federal government mandating vaccines for the country. But I'll, I, I'm almost certain. In fact, I am certain that as soon as the FDA fully approves the vaccines that are now and, and under emergency that? use I don't mean authorization. But when is that? You, you know, Chuck, I, no one wants to get ahead of the FDA because they're an independent group that makes their, their, their decisions. And that's good in many respects because there will never be any concern that we're influencing them. But I hope, I hope, I don't predict, but I hope that it will be within the next few weeks. I hope it's within the month okay. of August. If that's the case, you're, you're going to see the empowerment of local enterprises giving mandates. That could be colleges, universities, places of business, a whole variety. And I strongly support that. The time has come is we've got to go the extra step to get people vaccinated. You want to persuade them, that's good. And I believe that some people on their own once it gets approved as a full approval, yeah. we'll go ahead and get vaccinated. But for those who do not want, I believe mandates at the local level right. need to be done. I cannot think of anything more unconscionable and evil than what Anthony Fauci has just advocated and supported. He has literally said it out loud. Against an individual's will, he believes that such people should be forced to be injected. And note that he began his commentary by stating that the government won't do mandates, but wants businesses to do them. That way, he knows that he and the government get off the hook for any responsibility arising out of damages caused by mandated vaccines, while the private sector ends up holding the potential bag on that disaster. You know, we always hear about public-private partnerships, which in practice means government-private partnerships, and there is no such thing. A partnership assumes equal authority and equal responsibility and status. So when one of the partners is the government, which has a gun, and the other does not, this cannot be a partnership. And government is never responsible for anything since taxpayers are always the ones who end up paying, people who have no say in the partnership. 
Another word for public-private partnership is fascism. Indeed, it is this very partnership that distinguishes fascism from communism, under which there is no private ownership at all. Now here again is Canada Poly's Mark Paralavos with an anecdotal observation while on the return side of our upcoming bumper is the voice of X-22's Dave Nazipzode on the obviation of consent. This is, I don't know, I don't know if I can verify this. I don't think I can verify this. This is an anecdotal story on Twitter from a blue check mark, and he says, USA. He says, David, I guess a friend or somebody that he knows, it looks like a text conversation. David has been stuck in Houston for 26 hours now. Um, pilots and crew walked off boarded flights, won't come in because they're being told that they're going to be fired if they don't take the vaccine. Media is keeping it hush. They don't want to wake the lions. Airports all, airports all around the country, in the US, I guess, are becoming jammed up because of the pilots walking off and refusing to come in. Anybody got information on that? I'm interested. Send it my way. Um, but I think that that's something that's notable. Isn't that interesting? If people bring the corporations to their knees, if they say, listen, we're not going to listen to you and we're not coming in and we're not doing it. There were nine, there were nine girls in, a, I think, a New York doctor's office, nine, nine younger staff. They all want to have kids. None of them wanted to have the vaccine. They got together and they said, if you mandate the vax, we're all quitting and we're all quitting now. Like you tell us that you're not mandating the vax right now or we're leaving right now. And I, I don't know if it was that, like, you know, but that's how I do it. I'd be like, no, 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 we're negotiating. Not, we're not doing it right now and we'll revisit it when a couple of you quit and whatever. I want it in writing, part of the policy, done, or we're leaving. Like, I hope they were smart enough for that. But I made the news. So um, there are people who are, are using the ability to say, I know you need us and we don't want it. So the pilots are doing it. Firemen are doing it. Police are doing it. Um, there are other people doing it. Very interesting to watch this roll out. You can see they're starting to push the idea that the unvaccinated people, they're the problem and they're going to have to be put on list. Now, the Atlantic put this out. Now, their original headline said this, unvaccinated people belong on the no-fly list. They changed it to unvaccinated people need to bear the burden because I think they realized, wait a minute, it's too early to start the list thing. We'll start that later. But Trump responded to this and he says, it's good to see that the Atlantic magazine is losing large numbers of readers and, and a fortune of money. Only a widow of Steve Jobs and her boyfriend I am sure Steve is thrilled would keep it going. People think it will close soon, but who knows? It's amazing what's happening to the discredited media like CNN, MSDNC, New York Times, and Washington Post. Their businesses have dropped off a cliff, which is actually a very good thing for the American people because they are fake news, like the networks, ABC, NBC, CBS. And he's absolutely right. Now, what's very interesting is we see that a lot of sports organizations they are now pushing mandatory vaccines. And Dana White from the UFC, he said, you know something? It's not gonna happen. I'm never gonna tell anyone that they have to put something in their body. Yes, and that is absolutely true. You should never have to tell someone to do something. And you shouldn't blackmail them. You shouldn't force them. And yes, when you segregate people, that is trying to force the other person to do something because they're not giving consent and they're saying no. 
And if you continue to push them by limiting them on what they can do, that is blackmail. That is trying to push someone into consent when the person says no. It's almost like sexual harassment. When the man approaches a woman and she says no, and she says no, and like Cuomo keeps forcing himself on her, he's forcing her to consent. It's the same thing that's happening now, but with the vaccine. Consent can be violated without using direct force. Obviating consent can be done by fraud, by misrepresentation and presenting false news and information. It deprives the victim of his or her ability to form an opinion and to make a choice through informed consent, not misinformed consent, which is a contradiction in terms. As I warned at the beginning of the show, this was not a linear argument that I would present, especially since there are so many elements to the equation, and I still haven't touched upon all of them as our time quickly runs out. But having taken into account all of the elements so far reviewed and including the discussion on last week's show, here's my own big picture quick view of how to address what might appear to be a conflict between prohibiting private commerce from discrimination and the right to life, liberty, or property. Now, Paul McKeever suggested that the error is to think that government's role is the recognition and defense of moral, natural, and God-given rights. But it is not, he says. Its job is to ensure that in all of one's dealings with others, one deals with each of those others as human beings, as rational, individual human beings. When a government uses the power of government to defend one person treating another as a non-human, it abuses the power of government and perverts its purpose. Now, what Paul has described relates more to the function of government than to its purpose, which is to protect individual freedom of choice. But to enter into the marketplace is to make a choice, and it is voluntary. Just because a designated portion of private property is being used to participate in the market, that does not exempt its owners from being subject to the same rules and laws as those who are strictly on public-owned or government-owned property. When a store or establishment opens its doors to the public, the space it chooses to designate as public becomes as public as the great outdoors and subject to the same laws and provisions of equality as we would expect there. When you choose to engage in the marketplace using your property as an asset or means to do so, that designated portion of your property becomes a player on the game of the board of trade and is not exempt from the rules of the board game. The government is a referee and not a player in the game. We'll own nothing and be happy, say the elitists who are hiding behind their various property rights while subjecting us to this state of fascist tyranny. Their pieces aren't even on the board, and yet they not only get to play, but to make the rules for the rest of us. There's your public-private partnership for you. Doesn't exactly sound like a plan for the sanctity of private property or the protection of freedom of association to me. Yet this is the path on which we are traveling as long as we believe that private interests can determine public policy, which was one of the interesting definitions we reviewed earlier. And when I say private interests, I am, of course, including, above all, the likes of George Soros, Bill Gates, Anthony Fauci, and all of the other stakeholders and patent possessors of vaccines and viruses, and the media. It's remarkable how they support discrimination on the grounds of everything from sex to race to vaccinations. And with that thought in mind, allow me to persuade you to exercise your rational discrimination 
by joining us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be But I think schools are very prepared for coronavirus, you know? If a kid gets sick and dies, they already have plenty of chalk to outline the body, so that's gonna be fun. (laughs) Oh, come on, that's... Kids are mostly immune or whatever, I don't know, it's fine. It's just a hypothetical dead baby joke, it's not, you know? (laughs)